What's up? This is Jeff Weiss. You're tuning to Shots Fired, a podcast about hip hop and pagers. Sky Tell pagers. Beep beep. <laughs> Sky pagers. Any any kind of pager, really. Uh, we're about to have on a little later uh, as our guest Femi Kuti, who, if you're not familiar, is the son of Fela Kuti, perhaps the most famous musician to ever come from Africa. Uh, Femi right now is on tour. And he's nominated for a Grammy for his uh, Africa for Africans album. And he's got an album called No Place for My Dreams coming out a little later this year. And it's uh, many are calling it kind of a return to more traditional Afrobeat for him, which we'll talk about a little later. And uh, I'm sitting here right next to uh, the rapper, the construction worker, the monolith, No Can Do. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm building a studio called the Cosmic Zoo. Actually, me and my partner, Ke- Daddy Kev from Low and Theory, are building it. We basically built it. It's fully functional, painted, floored. You know, it sounds like it sounds amazing. And uh, I've uh, back now. Coded- Shots fired, listeners. In case you want to book any studio time, if you want to do voiceovers, <laughs> if you want to record some music, if you want to just fuck around and pay some money to somebody, yeah, it's, it's That's me. where I'm recording my live art action cartoon about marijuana and music. Yeah. It's really boring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, so. How have you been? What the, did you been good? Chilling? I mean, I'm good, man. Uh, you know, I just recorded a bunch of music this week. Uh, been, you know, I've just been playing in my studio, mm-hmm. having guys over. You know, reading be, comic be books. Makers. No, I, actually, I've been sacrificing. Sipping my, on rosé. No comic books. Like I'm, I'm killing my childhood by cutting these comic books in half and putting them up on the walls as wallpaper. That's how like my like 17 year old bedroom still is at my parents' place. Yeah. And it's like hilarious. It's like like Maxim magazine cutouts and and like like is that a Jay Z hip hop quotables? <laughs> yeah, and like Slam magazines with Allen Iverson on it. Yeah, that's it's very. Cool. It's an iconic photo with the the ABA jersey. I remember the, uh, that one. With yeah, the, that, that one. Has has the stars down the down the S, right? Yeah, changed yeah. my changed my life. I wanted to play basketball like I, Alan Iverson. Yeah, you and, wanted to just not be not be a person that works well with others. And ended up playing like Tony Bennett, <laughs> not the singer, the mediocre basketball player. Yeah, I, Look, I thought you meant like Tony Bennett. No, had, had a basketball Wisconsin. Career. Yeah. Look it up, shots fired audience. Mediocre white basketball players in the nineties, yeah. and hip hop. Shout, yeah. shout out to oh, we got to do our uh, our athletes who make music episode. Oh yeah, day. it's happening. It's happening. Yeah, yeah. It's also a big big day for us here at Shots Fired because we quadrupled our female listeners in the last week from one to four. Yeah. So thanks, and you, ladies. And you know what that means? It means I created three accounts, three fake accounts. It means that Andrew T is God. Most of you is this racist. Exactly. Yeah, I've been. Not, you're not going to ask me what I'm doing, how I've been, but I mean, I, I'm going to ask. You're getting you. there. I was going to get there, but you didn't give me a chance. I've been marvelous. Thank you for asking. Um, no, nah, I was. I, Reverse I'm, question. How are you doing? Yeah, if how I sound cracked out today, it's because I've been smoking a lot of crack. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I was writing till like four in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. He was writing crack. That just like crack on Adderall and weed and just like hearing Danny Brown just be like, I'm the Adderall Admiral, but not like that. Like, I like <laughs> if you just try this, guys. Say anything, anything out there. In the Danny Brown and voice. In Danny Brown voice. So it's just like, I'm turning on the corner. <laughs> I'm pressing the crosswalk button. I'm gonna order this macaroni and cheese. It's just not it's, as good. It makes everything. If you're really, if you're feeling bad about yourself one day, just you know, just say say things like Danny yeah. Brown would say them. In or the like rap. if you're working late at night, I recommend also putting on French Montana's "Pop That." But you don't have the whole thing of "Pop That." You just have the part where French is just being like, "Work, work, work, work." work. Yeah, it's like a mantra. He's, he's <laughs> like the guy that's on the boat beating the drum. I get while hypnotized. The guys are rowing. I'm like, row, row, I'm row. Like, I don't know. Like I want to go to sleep. 
but French Montana seems pretty emphatic about me continuing to work, so I'm, exactly. I'm with it. Yeah, no, I was I was actually reviewing uh, Illumatic, the 10 year anniversary, or the 20 year anniversary reissue of Illumatic. It's 19, but they want to make money early, so. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you heard anything about that Illumatic record? I've heard it's pretty. Kids like it. I'm not really into that rap shit. Forty three year old kids I'm not like into it. That, that rap shit. Rap shit yeah. yeah, yeah. Try finding something new to say about Nas's Illumatic. I'd, I'd imagine that, like, it, that a record would do really well because I see kids walking down the street looking just like Nas looked at that time, like with the same clothes, like you know, like the '90s. Are, yeah, they're called Joey Badass. <laughs> His name is yeah. Joey Badass. Yeah, the '90s are rearing their ugly yeah. heads again, you know. But it's cool because there's no like crack cocaine or like heavy gang. Totally. Well, that's the, streets, the thing that I know? end up talking about is like the fact that it's like yeah, like you couldn't remake Illumatic because that shit. It was a, it was a particular time and place in like Queensbridge in 1994, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I feel like that and Infamous by Mob Deep, like that's it, you know. If you yeah. want to know what that was like, you know. I was going to say, like, the only... I I, I was talking about, like, t- periods, time periods being captured and, like, like crisis black America. Yeah. Like, the yeah. only thing that's happening right now is, like, the whole Chief Keef kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, like there's, some fuck, there's some cool music coming out of yeah. a fucked up situation, and it sounds just like it feels. Dude, I listen to way know? too much Chief Keef. Like, to, like, to the... Where, like, every time I go to the gym... I just like listen to Chief. Like, You're I'm like, sorry, you put on love Jeff. You put, you put on, and, you put on, and they molest me. You put on when I'm on the streets. Then the cops will arrest me. Do you do that? Pretty much. I, yeah. I've been the I shake my fake dreadlocks. <laughs> like yeah. my long hair. It the doesn't work. Like, my jewelocks. I'm like, what? You put on three hunna by me. Like I would like. I, no, I understand. I hear that shit. Three hunna like, sounds like a Yiddish I'm word. Like, I would fucking murder somebody right now. It's like who is saying this? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. You, like, but then Ooh, I. Ooh, I didn't know that then, about you. I didn't know that it. Well, well, to be fair, I'm at a gym in the valley, mm. so I usually want to kill people. They're like the douches. They all have like. Tra- Why do you go it's to like the gym with, in It's the like valley. men with tramps. Why do you stamps? go to the gym in the valley? Because hipsters don't work out, and there's no gyms in Silver Lake and Echo Park. Obviously, there has to be some shit downtown, bro. I'm not going to fucking downtown. Fuck that. Yeah, there's, shit. no, there is shit downtown. I think you. you, you, you. Uh, enough of that. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. It's a separate gym podcast. Don't worry, guys. We'll we'll talk about it later. Email, comment section. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what our show title is today? No, no can do. Uh, the Motherland. It's another episode in which I can feel awkward saying the title of. No, I mean, you know, I don't know. I think, I think scientists, scientists, science may have said something about like the first, like, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, fossils of people are like the oldest ones are yeah. you know somewhere in like uh, northeast africa you know not necessarily like they, it the australopithecines i think ethiopia i think uh yeah lucy i think they found in ethiopia so. so yeah so it's not necessarily saying what you know like but, like it's, it's it's about africa well jews had a had a great time in egypt obviously historically maybe built the pyramids well, we just I mean, like to take credit for it that'd be the only thing a jew has ever built really <laughs> like by hand we're not like a construction kind of oriented people well, I think everybody once was, right, back in the day? Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think, like, my ancestors were, like, sitting in the corner of, like, the desert being like, uh, where's, <laughs> like, what, like, do, give me some parchment or something. Yeah. <laughs> or papyrus. I feel A man un- can't live without I, papyrus. I feel uncomfortable talking about slavery after that last episode, the Andrew T. episode. That, that was the most fucking... Well, it's, well today is, is going to be... Nut-wrenching a, episode well, we'll ever. We'll talk about it with Femi Kuti. He's supposed to come here, um... But, you know, 
Anyways, but yeah, no, so the episode we're going to kind of talk about is, like, we're going to talk about, there's obviously, like, a connection between hip-hop and African music, you know, mm. and <laughs> there, I mean, there is, but it's true. <laughs> what? That, yo, is that racist? <laughs> no, it's not that it's racist, but it's just so funny, like. But there is, no, because. There's it, nothing that, like, what you would, would do in America that already hasn't happened in, Af- in Africa. Yeah. Or Jamaica, at least, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. uh. Well, <laughs> like you know other than sampling <laughs> yeah like like which is probably invented like you know uh somewhere around here you know? i always think like sometimes like were there people rapping in like i don't know 400 bc like there had to have been people probably rapping yeah i mean i mean what do you like like people <laughs> not about their lyrics though <laughs> like okay like people like, have been singing forever rappers right? with swag in 400 bc people, top 10 pe- list people have been doing poetry forever people have been telling stories and like people you know, have been not wanting to with listen to timing. poetry forever yeah so somebody so i'm pretty sure there was like somebody spoken word who asshole. looks like future who looks like future <laughs> and has the same tone as future that invented this new hybrid poetry and singing and uh and you know he's probably somewhere on you know in west We're africa trying to get f- future on the podcast pray for us shots fired listeners hey i don't want to jinx it you shouldn't we got to edit that part no we'll keep it fuck it <laughs> give us something to, give, give us something to live for we deserve it <laughs> <laughs> i never lose my cool <laughs> just the other day my little cousin called me from school so yeah we're gonna talk about um we're gonna talk about there, there are like big kind of african hip-hop movements that like take american music so it actually goes back and forth i mean i think that's another thing that's always you know i think like a lot of the time like as americans we're like oh people are stealing stuff from africa but they steal a lot from american music no, is this, who says they steal from africa who says that uh, who, african musicians say we steal things from from there um probably i'm pretty sure they do people with white liberal guilt i don't know <laughs> <laughs> we were just like i don't know i think um, i think e40 uh is originally an African rapper. <laughs> uh, he's like the Hakeem Olajuwon of uh, of uh, rap music because those a lot of the things he says and does. He's invented so many is, words. Is that it's it's not it's it's not Amer- It's too creative to be American. I'm sorry, it's too creative. <laughs> it, it can't you know low self esteem. <laughs> no, I mean so there's so yeah. I mean there's obviously this history of it. There's like a, a back and forth. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, rappers that have sampled African songs and mm-hmm. kind of talk about Fela Kuti, mm-hmm. uh, who's obviously Femi's father and probably my favorite musician ever. Actually, yeah. Like I don't really talk about it. Like, but see that whole the, the, the whole to. Fela Kuti, Kuti thing. It missed me until I got older. Like my mother used to play it. I mean, there's a lot of music. Like my mother yeah. used to play, it and I was just like, I don't really get it. It yeah. just you know, but when I, once I got older and realized like you know he was, I mean it, that and James Brown too. I was like I, I realized like these guys are like these conductors and frontmen and like composers and you know producers, mm-hmm. you know and yeah. like like they're really kind of badass. Well, James Brown, we were talking about like American influence for Fela Kuti. We'll 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 kind of get into this in a minute, but uh, James Brown was basically uh, Fela's first biggest influence other than like traditional ethiopian or yeah, excuse me uh, nigerian like high life music which was yeah. high life was like kind of the predecessor we're gonna have to pause yeah have an important we're gonna we're gonna go why don't we take a commercial break let's take a commercial break all right cool we'll be back in a minute pause shots fired. here's an easy way to support shots fired by shopping on amazon.com like you already do go to earwolf.com and click the amazon banner you can find it at the top of the home page and also on the Shots Fired show page. Click the Amazon.com banner and support Earwolf shows like ours with your regular Amazon.com purchases. It doesn't cost anything extra and it helps support the show. You're already shopping online for the holidays. Why not help out your favorite podcast while doing it? Shots Fired! Yeah, this is Shots Fired with Jeff Weiss and No Can Do and we are back. <laughs> 
with the motherland episode. With the motherland, it's everyone's motherland. I mean, you know, well, yeah. I mean, shout not out like, to Planet Asia. Not like a Bob Dole. It's like not his. It's not. You don't think it's Bob Dole? Bob Dole. I mean, I just don't get much of an African vibe from Bob Dole. No, I get more of an African vibe from Bob Dole than Bill Clinton, and I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> I feel like Bill Clinton, his uh, his love for uh, African arts is like on a very a very bourgeois. Uh-huh. Like I see you. Oh, I'm into that. Yeah. Bob. I think Bob Dole in Africa, we would he would just get along well. He would be able to you know endure the weather, you know the <laughs> just, heat and the humidity. I disagree. He was a war hero, but Bill Clinton, like Fela Kuti, played the saxophone. And, uh, ooh, transition. We're going to talk about Fela right now. Fela, like I said, he's like my favorite musician. I think a lot of people, um, you know, like the analogy when people ask me, like, who's Fela Kuti? Like, the only analogy that I can kind of come up with is like, I'm like, oh, he's sort of like Africa's Bob Marley, but he sounds nothing like Bob Marley. But he, he is kind of in the sense that he started, like, he had a very powerful message. It influenced lots of people, like, throughout the continent, just kind of how Bob Marley was huge throughout the I don't the know character. much about his message, man. What's his message? Well, he he was... It's like a message of, like... I, I kind of polygamy. Th- I know he <laughs> had a lot of wives. Yeah, he had a lot of wives. Uh, <laughs> he had a compound with a lot of wives, which... If you did that, like, nowadays, you'd be Mormon, and you'd be, like, you, you know... You'd <laughs> be, like, Waco, Texas. It'd be, yeah, it'd be one of those things where the people end up on the news later, and, like, they the kids have to go through, like, conditioning. I feel like having a compound with a lot of wives isn't the kind of thing that you can usually pull off but he you have pulls to have it a off. lot of swag to do it. Oh, he, well Fela Kuti I think you know he, he Jay-Z's wrong he, Jay-Z made a musical about him so or helped make a musical about him so yeah, maybe so that, he invented swag yeah right, but he well he basically a lot of people don't know also is you know he grew he grew up um in Nigeria, he was schooled mm. in London, came to L.A. for a while, mm. got really into James Brown, like Black Panther literature, kind of took it back to Nigeria and kind of had like a pan-African kind of idea, which was, you know, it was kind of popular in like the 60s and 70s, kind mm-hmm. of like, you know. Uh, Before uh, they realized that it's a continent with like so many different people, that that's yeah, impossible. Yeah, like Nasser in Egypt was kind of had similar themes, except Fela was resisting dictatorship, whereas, you know, a lot of the, there was a there was like a very, very repressive Nigerian dictatorship. Yeah. And his music started to kind of go against the dictatorship. And obviously it attracted a lot of attention. And so one day they, they came in on his compound. And they, the soldiers, either they found weed on him or they planted weed on him. No one, I mean, like, I'm sure the guy probably had weed around because he was yeah. smoking weed constantly. Yeah. Like these big, like the size of like a burrito joint. It was, yeah, it was yeah, really yeah. great. Yeah, shout and out to El Torino. Shout out, yeah. I went there the other day. How'd you like it? It's fucking delicious. Mm-hmm. And they got a good avocado with their tacos, but that's a different story, which is also good when you're high. But <laughs> I digress. So basically, they plant all this weed on him. They bring him to jail. Fela's like at this point, it's like 1974, 75. He's like the most famous musician in, in Nigeria, if not all of Africa. Mm-hmm. And he, they plant the weed on him. He ends up grabbing it, swallows it. Like He's like, what are you going to do? So they take him to jail and they wait for him to shit it out. Yeah. And then he gets up, like he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. A prisoner, like in the middle of the night, it's like, like he's like, because I mean, he's like the God, he's like God practically. Yeah. He's that big. He's Sosa. Like, yeah, he is, he is Sosa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so a prisoner gives him his shit. Then Femi, or Fela gives it to the to the to the guards, the prison guards. And they're like, "It's clean." And then he walks out and writes a song called "Expensive Shit." <laughs> so we should play "Expensive Shit" right now. This right, is Fela cool. Kuti's "Expensive Shit." <laughs> Your soul. 
people will go like to quench your soul. And don't use your shit to put you for jail. So then Fela basically gets out of jail, um, and he started writing a song called Zombie. Like any good artist, your career goes on the upswing. Once there's a lot of, of parallels to hip hop. I feel like with you know there was there a lot of southern rappers have, or, or rappers in general have found their way in jail for for reasons that. Um, I think any music like any Johnny music, Cash, yeah. like you go to jail. Johnny Cash, he, I don't think ever went to jail. Didn't he go to? He wrote a song about being no, in jail. He never went there. Ah, uh, um, he shot a man just to watch him die. So zombie, uh, Phil writes a song right after expensive shit he misrode, and it basically becomes kind of like the most popular song in Nigeria, uh, and the people start calling all the Nigerian soldiers zombies, and. Uh, that obviously that has to do with like the Biofure, the Biofure. What you, is it, was that around that time? There's there's like this big revolt that happened in Nigeria. Well, there, I mean, there's just a lot of suppression. It was like Abasanjo at the time was the leader of of Nigeria, and there it just you know it, it was just you know it was constant turmoil, mm-hmm. and you know there's a lot of poverty, obviously. Mm-hmm. And sort of music was the only outlet, and Fela was kind of the only real voice. You know, and he spoke, he he sang songs in pidgin English because he wanted to have his message be communicated to the most people, and that was mm-hmm. probably the most widely spoken language in Africa. Mm-hmm. So um, he he does this song. It infuriates the government. Um, you know, you guys should just play Zombie at home. It's it's an amazing song. You should really get all of Fela's stuff. It's it's especially in the seventies. It's all amazing. He has he has Zombie. As a response, the Nigerian government gets so mad that they storm the compound yeah. that he had, and they throw his mom out of a window. Yeah. And it ends up killing her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what soldiers do. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. They, they kill people. Yeah. But, they, I mean, they weren't <laughs> – and then they wanted to they, – they almost killed him, and it was, it, yeah. was, you know, it was a huge, huge, you know, tragedy. And his mom actually was one of uh, – she was very uh, instrumental in getting women's suffrage in Nigeria and was an educator and kind of had a, you know – Really interesting story. And she ends up dying. This is Fe- uh, Femi's grandmother. And then basically, Fela takes her coffin and wheels it in front of the entire, like in the main kind of like vil- the city square of, uh, ne- of Lagos, Nigeria, mm-hmm. wheels the coffin in front of the dictator and, you know, like like to show him like this is what you've done you know and it obviously becomes a, a huge thing it, it's, it's a big statement yeah. yeah and he he actually um writes a song called coffin for head of state about yeah. it we should probably play like a like a little yeah, snippet of coffin of for head of state it's I probably mean, my favorite song ever i think we actually. should play almost every song you mentioned man this is kind of a deep episode yeah
Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 By the grace of Almighty Lord. Amen. So, you know, then once the 80s kind of kicked in, Fela sort of became like kind of an international, more of an international superstar, started playing in America a lot. Had a, got a new band called Egypt 80, who actually plays now with uh, one of his youngest sons, uh, Seun Kuti, mm-hmm. who's Femi's brother, and they still play with him, and they're also amazing. Mm-hmm. And like Femi's, I mean, Femi plays with a band called The Positive Force, and they're also incredible. Yeah. And Fe- Fela ended up basically dying in the early 90s of AIDS. And uh, Really? Yeah. And wow. They made, uh, in 2002, uh, MCA released a compilation called Red Hot Plus Riot, and it was actually uh, an AIDS benefit with a lot of American rappers uh, kind of rapping over fella songs, and they had fella songs in there and everything. How come I've never heard this? Yeah, well, it was, it was had to locally on it, so. Oh, yeah, that's why I never heard it. <laughs> yeah, that's some common, you know, Femi's on it. Femi has a song with D'Angelo on it. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool. And uh, I think they're, they're doing a fella cover with D'Angelo, because anything D'Angelo did at that time is pretty amazing. Yeah. And and so, I mean, there, there's been like kind of a history of uh, rappers sampling Fela, mm. uh, common, 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 like Water for Chocolate, actually. Is, do you hear that record? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the first song is, I think, like a tribute to Fela. And then he samples on the Pops rap, he samples expensive shit. Or he misread one of the two. I was going to say, we should probably play a little bit of like a... Like a little 20, snippet? 20, you know, just so we can get the sample. The sample, yeah. Um, well, there. I mean, there were other ones too. I mean, like actually, the first, you know, the first rapper to sample uh, f- sample Fela was uh, was X Clan because we have to talk about X Clan obviously in every episode. Oh uh, yeah. Why do we bring them up so much? I no, mean, they had a song called Grand Verbalizer. We can we can play it right now. Nah, you know, that's, I've, I've seen Brother J play that song a few times. Yeah. And, like everybody kind of goes crazy and repeats it. It was the first. It was the first real like Fela sample. And I mean, because it was 1990, I think sampling technology was kind of first, kind of. It was kind of crystallized, you know. It, it kind of they had that advance where you can kind of start looping things for a few seconds. So it's one of the early ones, um, and yeah, we can. We, I mean, we can play a common song too. I mean, but I don't think we need to hear any common ever again on this podcast or any. <laughs> just we'll just play I, I, gap ads instead. I think we should play all the common ever. Go Google common gap ad turtleneck <laughs> now. <laughs> um, yeah, well, also, like, uh, Femi, uh, Femi, actually. Well, why don't we play a song that Femi actually did with Most Def? It's a really good ah, song. Ah, that sounds a lot better. That sounds a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm filled with great ideas. Yeah. Um, this is a really good song. It was from his 2001 album called Fight to Win. And Femi, actually, a thing about him, and you know why we, I mean, obviously, beyond him being a great musician, figured, like, he does have a kind of a hip-hop connection, and he, like, mm. he has been... What's his age, if you don't mind me? He's 50 years old. He's fi- Femi, Femi is 50? He looks like 30. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And, um, but, yeah, he's he's 50. And uh, he uh, he did a song with Mostaf, uh, you know, 11 years ago called Fight to Win, so... This is actually the album was called Fight to Win. The song is called Do Your Best, and so this is uh, this is that song. It's very uplifting. I love that.
well, uh, The Roots also did a, a song where they sampled Vela as well. So basically, like that late '90s, early 2000s, like uh, you know, uh, that's so cool. The golden area for the backpack rap. Yeah, the golden area, the golden age of incense. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It it, it was side to side, side by side with the Neil Soul thing, but that was more of an R and B. But like you know, all the guys that didn't shave their beards and yeah, but not like in the extravagant Rick Ross way. It's sort of like because Bob Marley had sort of been played out. Like they couldn't really be like, okay, we're really into Bob Marley now. Yeah, you know what I mean? You're like they had to dig deeper. Then where where do you go after that? You go to fella, I think. I mean, yeah. I personally like. I mean, Fela is like. It's just the. I think it's the funkiest kind of music. I, you know, it's like mm. fifteen minute jazz solos in the middle of it, and he. It's like he would perform with backup dancers and stuff. Like, just it's it's a party. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good time. And I I seen a video where, where he performed and uh, he was singing and dancing and smoking. Yeah. And he had backup dancers and backup singers and a full band. And it, I mean, it looked it looked kind of. Like I, I would, I would want to be there, yeah. but I, I would just know that no one in the room had on deodorant, so I like, yeah. I, I would stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, also, you weren't wearing tights. He did. It, he also did it in tights too. He did it in tights. In tights. So, yeah. Yeah. I think he was wearing some like khaki skinny jeans at the time. Yeah. It was. The, like, he was the proto skinny jean. He was the first. He was the first skinny jean wearing a. So the the root song that he sampled is actually interesting because it was a song called I, "I Will Not Apologize." It was actually from two thousand eight. Oh, the songs that that the root. It's sampled. called "I Will Not Apologize." They sampled a song called like Mister Grammar Tillizationism, mm-hmm. which I'm pronouncing obviously wrong, but it was a song that Fela wrote about. How it was stupid that the Nigerian schools were like forcing people to use English and they should speak native languages and like like yeah. all this like having proper English grammar and how it wasn't like you know wasn't legitimate of the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I mean, his whole thing uh, is just like he was like about refusing to compromise and sort of like never compromise the art. And Femi, I think, has like taken it like mm. to to that sort of degree. Man, it's very complicated. It's a it's a complicated episode of Shots Fired. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to get on like you know the whole idea of. Like I mean, that's like a decolonization idea. Like reject their teaching, reject. Yeah, it was. Well, it was. Uh, it was the time. I think it was definitely. But I mean, Femi's stuff is like really political now. I'm going to talk to him probably about it a little mm, later. Mm. Um, and you know, there's there there have been other kind of African. You know, I think as we enter mm-hmm. from Nas and Damien Marley, that album had a lot of you know Africa themes obviously on it. And mm-hmm. he they sampled the song from Mulatu Astatki. He was like a very Famous Ethiopian. Say that jazzman. again. His name is Mulatu Astatki. All right, are we going to talk about uh, Akon or Akon's dad on this episode? <laughs> no, only Kanan. Kanan and Kenna. We're not going to talk about Akon. Well, actually, Senegal uh, is like one of the biggest homes of of African rap. Yeah. Like it is like there. It's one of the places where African rap is. Senegal and Tanzania. Real Tanzania. Supposed, Tanzania. It's very huge in North Africa too. Like they mixed it with a kind of pop called Rai music, like R A I. Yeah, and then that's where we get French Montana. <laughs> yeah, well, there was like it was like a folk tradition kind <laughs> yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's where the word fanut originally comes from. Yeah, yeah, fanut came and, from the uh, Rai, the Rai movement. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, like if you look like uh, MC Solar and was Senegalese originally, okay. originally by way of Chad. Yeah, yeah, and but he he grew up in in. Uh, he grew up in France. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's just been a lot. I don't think that counts really as African rap yeah. if he grew up in France. I think the only, the really, like, there's that. I, I feel like we should, you know, I like, I hate to talk positively about Wale in 2013. <laughs> um, I'm, I just, oh, man, I don't know. I, I just, well, I, I just feel like Wale had a lot of potential and sort of was just like, I'm going to just hang out with Rick Ross and eat diced pineapples and frolic nah i think uh, you know what i think think it is is that uh he he found he found a, a niche that is ever forgiving 
Totally. Which, which of is his inherent corniness. Which is which is like, you know, black sorority. Mm-hmm. Like he's rapping to like the black sorority totally. girl. You yeah. know, like, yeah, <laughs> he like can't, just like live, he can't your, fail, like, like live your dreams. Yeah, you know, I did it. He's Ambition. Like, <laughs> You're like, all right, Wale. Yeah. But Wale, Wale, this is before Wale was was just Wale forlornized. And uh, he had a song called Cousin African. Yeah. And I really like this song. And he sampled Jay Z, you know, like, uh, I think it was from 99 Problems he sampled, you know, where Jay-Z says, yeah. I'm an African, because yeah. I'm African. And, yeah, so we'll, I think we should play Wale's Because I'm African, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do it. Do it. Yeah. Half a meal for Bell, because I'm African. Half a meal for Bell, because half a meal for Bell, because I'm African. Nigeria, Cameroon, Sarah Leone, Ethiopia. Yeah, we're back. That was Wale. That was Wally. <laughs> Bet you didn't think we'd play Wale on a podcast. Yeah. You were so wrong. There's somebody right now that's lost a lot of money. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I knew they would never play Wale. Those Vegas odds. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we're going to go to a commercial break. And when we come back, you'll... you'll uh, we're going to have Kuti. We're going to have him in the studio. And yeah. uh, we're going to be talking about uh, his music and his life and his politics and his father and everything to do with Afrobeat. Doom, 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 doom. Let's go. Shots fired. Hey listeners, we hope you've been enjoying Shots Fired. Hit us up with your feedback by leaving comments about the show on our forums at Earwolf.com. And don't forget to subscribe to and rate Shots Fired on iTunes. You can always follow us on Twitter to keep track. We're at Passion Weiss and at MC No Can Do. If you're able to financially support Earwolf shows like Shots Fired to help us keep going, head over to Earwolf.com slash donate and give what you can. We appreciate all kinds of support from fans. Thank you for listening. Shots Fired! You said your name was? My name is uh, Jeff Weiss, and uh, yeah, the show Shots Fired, and we're, uh, I'm talking with uh, Femi Kuti, uh, legendary Afrobeat star. Um, I guess, you know, we're in Los Angeles, and I know, um, you know, I know your family had a history. I know your father lived in Los Angeles in the late 60s, and did, did, uh, did you ever tell you any stories kind of about growing up here, or when he was living here in this time? Or Yeah, he left, um, he left um, I think, in 69. Uh-huh. He spent only nine months here. Uh-huh. And it was more of um he came for a break uh-huh. with his band mm-hmm. and it was here this was the turning point of his life. Uh-huh. He met a girl called Sandra Danielle at that time. Uh-huh. And she introduced him to the Black Panthers. Uh-huh. And introduced him to some books. Mm-hmm. And he was amazed at the history which he came across here. Mm-hmm. And was shocked to know that that history did not exist in 
back home in Africa. Uh-huh. Although his mother had said some of these things to him, mm-hmm. it didn't register. Uh-huh. So as he was reading the books, it came to him that, oh, so this is what his mother was fighting for mm-hmm. all this time. So he was so excited to get back home to pass this information to his people, mm-hmm. basically. And that was sort of when kind of the formation of Afrobeat, is that? Yes, it was um, because before he left, he used to play high life. Yeah. We- and his mother said that if he wanted to become a great person, mm-hmm. he had to create his own kind of music. Mm-hmm. But then he left and took the high life to America. Uh-huh. I can't remember the name of the club, but the owner of the club called him after one of the shows and said he likes him, he's a good, he seems to be a good guy. He seems to have charisma, blah, uh-huh. blah, blah. But he thinks this style of music will not break here. Uh-huh. So he will advise him to think of his own kind of music mm-hmm. because he seems to be talented. Yeah. So the same thing his mother told him, uh-huh. the club owner told him. Uh-huh. So I think that night he got, he sat on the piano and composed his first Afrobeat song called My Lady's Frustration. Yeah, I love that. That's a wonderful song, yeah. You know the song? Yeah, yeah. No, uh-huh. I know I know his entire catalog. I, I love that song. That song used to be played on the BBC every morning at a particular time. Every morning, BBC would play that song. It was, I, th- I, I love that song too. I love much. that whole album. The whole Los Angeles Sessions album is, is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's it's very. I always think about that. It's interesting to think that you know, in the late '60s, you know, obviously there was kind of the hippie movement going on, and then kind of, you know, parallel at the same time, you know, Fela was here, you know, kind of inventing Afrobeat in Los Angeles. And it's kind of weird growing up. Yeah, coincidence, kind of. Yeah. But then, his first Afrobeat song that became a hit was called Jim Kuku, because mm-hmm. he now went back to Lagos. Yeah. And he was perfect in the Afrobeat. Yeah. And then he had his first major serious hit that really, that was the turning point of his, because the Los Angeles hits didn't make any, it, it didn't create a big impact in Nigeria. Uh-huh. It was, the, the the turning point was the Jankoku uh-huh. edition of, this was now a new style. And it's, I think it was more African, the Jankoku. Uh-huh. So people at home related. Yeah. The, my latest frustration seemed to be a bit kind of jazzy, kind of funky, um, psychedelic, kind of sophisticated. Yeah. The, I think we sophisticated people kind of liked it, mm-hmm. but the real people just said, "Oh, nice, okay." Yeah. But Jim Kuku now spoke to the people. Yeah. It I- was funny. It had humor. It had all the ingredients. The African person would love at home yeah so that was his first major hit yeah i think that's something that you know often maybe gets like lost in translate maybe americans sometimes don't listen to it closely but i think some of his songs are i mean really hilarious and yes. you know so, like i mean they're very sad and tragic at the same time but i like you know expensive shit you know we just played that earlier yes it's it's, it's a sad song but it's also very very funny at yeah. the same time yeah i mean even when he's in pain he finds a way to put some humor yeah that you you are feeling the pain, but you 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 have to laugh. Yeah, and you like, why is he clowning with yeah. such a very serious yeah. topic? Yeah, many times that happened to me too. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. Uh, you're also very, and and your brother is also very uh, pro marijuana, and I think in America a lot of you know it's like. There are people doing it, but it, it's not, you know, it's uh, the people that do it in America. It, it feels sometimes kind of like a marketing. They they do it, you know, because they want to sell 
they want to sell more records or something and they know that college kids but i feel when you and your brother and you're obviously your father they were you know you don't hear like kind of that it does have kind of obviously like a very po- you know has, has it had a positive effect on your creation you said i don't smoke you don't smoke no <laughs> never i did you did i mean i was a in my teens i was a big smoker mm-hmm I stopped in my early 20s, started again in, I think, two, 1999 for like three years. Uh-huh. But then um, at this time, I was having a lot of confrontation with the government. Yeah, I was going to ask And that. they were trying to use this as the criteria to bring my career and what I was saying, trying to make me s- seem like a clown that mm-hmm. he's smoking, he doesn't yeah. know what he's saying. And I thought it was too important to risk what I'm doing uh-huh. with giving the government an excuse to ridicule what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. I stopped. Yeah. And I said to, and this was another change and turning point in my life where, mm-hmm. okay, he's not smoking. He's still saying the same thing. He has his senses yeah. on. What are you saying? I mean, it, it even sounds better this time. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so, and this is, this was a, because at that, at this time too, we said having problems with the police mm-hmm. closing the shrine, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And, I thought I could just, um, I could stop, confront the government, mm-hmm. and win this battle. Uh-huh. And you joined your father's band at, at 16, Yes, right? yeah. 16 going 17. What was it like for you to be 16 years old and you know, playing with some of the, you know, I mean, I love all the, solo, I mean, I love the Tony, Al- Tony Allen solo albums, some amazing music that came out of all the members of the band. Um, for me, it was very, I mean, it was, um, it was... It's very hard because being my father's son, everybody was, it was just full of praise. Oh, you're yeah. so good. You are great. You are going to be, mm-hmm. you are going to be too great, blah, 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 blah. And I yeah. think, I think I was too young to hear all those kind of um, praises. Uh-huh. I think it got to my head. Uh-huh. Luckily, or unfortunately as well, my father got arrested in 84. Uh-huh. And that's when I took over his band. Uh-huh. And that was my first big um, responsibility kind uh-huh. of. And ironically, it was that was when I stopped the year I even stopped smoking uh-huh. because we now moved to Los Angeles. Uh-huh. The band he was on his way to Los Angeles to play at the Hollywood Bowl, oh, wow. and um, I had to take over the band. Oh, okay. so wow. that responsibility, I called my girlfriend. That was when I remember. Then I I stopped smoking because uh-huh. it seemed just so overwhelming. Hollywood Bowl, wow! I better be. And you were twenty two years old, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was too much for me. And well, we pulled the show off. But that was, um, um, I moved back to my mother's house in 86. Uh-huh. And my grandmother on my mother's side, she was like, what kind of musician are you? I never hear you practice. Uh-huh. You are going to end up nowhere. And I cried all night. I was like, wow. I mean, she just told me yeah. blatantly the truth. And everybody had just been like, like yes, man, kind of, oh, you are great. Uh-huh. And I really was sounding like, I, I'm sure I was sounding terrible. <laughs> but then, Felason, oh, Felason, Felason, Felason. You played the trumpet at first, right? No, this was at eight. Because okay. my father at that time used to play the trumpet. Uh-huh. So I said to play the trumpet. Uh-huh. But I had nobody to teach me. He was never around. So I dropped the trumpet. And then he moved to the sax. Uh-huh. And asked me if I wanted to move to the sax. So he, he bought me a saxophone. And I moved to the sax as well. Uh-huh. And then you well, you practice, you know, I, I was reading some interviews with you. You said, you, do you still practice six hours a day? Yes. Um, I have not done that six hours for maybe two weeks now because I joined Twitter. 
<laughs> I joined. <laughs> it's very funny. I joined Twitter and Facebook. I joined because I said to see the light at the end of the ton- yeah, tunnel. I was Play- resistant at first. I was like, yeah, why would I be on Twitter? I don't get no, it. No, the reason I didn't join was yeah. I was trying to focus on the trumpet, which uh-huh. was frustrating me and... Everybody said, I, I'm too old to play. You'll never play the uh-huh. trumpet. And it was just discouragement all around me. Uh-huh. So I wanted to focus to prove everybody wrong that I will play this trumpet. Yeah. So it's taken me 12 years. But last year, just towards the end of last year, I just say, oh, I'm kind of sounding good. You finally got it. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's I said, okay, let me join Facebook. So I joined. And everybody said, join Twitter, join Twitter. <laughs> so I joined. Now... Like I've spent like three instead of sleeping, I've spent three hours on Twitter because I've been cracking some jokes with my Nigerian pals and all that, and we've been having fun. So I'm I'm trying to do do re mi. <laughs> Somebody says, ask me a question, and I try to put some humor with the answer. Oh, then they start laughing. Then somebody answers. Yeah. Now they do. Oh, <laughs> and every time I'm trying to get to the do, the next tonic, somebody asks me another question. So I've been, but I'm still going to find the balance. I have to balance my life between Facebook, Twitter, and my practice. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like now is like the more technology comes, like the more things you have to like supposedly find time to do. Wait till you get on Instagram. It's going to be all what's, over. What's that? Again? Instagram is with people's photos and everyone takes yeah, photos. Yeah, somebody told me about that yesterday in um, San Diego. Uh-huh. That um, you just put all your photos there and mm-hmm. blah blah. It's like a story, photo story book, right? Yeah, basically. Oh gosh, no, <laughs> I know it's another. It's another. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> Am so, I in trouble? <laughs> no practice. <laughs> so, and also you've you've collaborated with a lot of hip hop artists, and I, I know you know I was, I was doing some research on you. And was your first music love was it classical music? No, yeah. my first music love was my father's. My father, yeah. Then it, we moved all, because we were dancing to funk, uh-huh. all the funk coming from America, Temptations, Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. Diana Summer, Diana Ross, uh-huh. anything, Shalama, anybody. Yeah. I mean, it was always on the dance floor in Nigeria, James Brown. But my father's music always seemed very special. Yeah. Um, probably because he was talking about the issues that were affecting us on a yeah. daily basis. No road, no electricity. So we always came back to listen, and I could not really understand the love songs. I mean, we're always ending up with broken hearts at the end of this love uh-huh. song. So yeah. I think we always consoled ourselves with my father's songs. And then it was jazz. He introduced mm-hmm. me to jazz. But the first time I listened to jazz, it was like a very bitter pill. I couldn't understand what I saw. I hated it. Uh-huh. And he says, okay, um, the best thing for you to do is listen to James Moody. Uh-huh. A song called Moody's Mood for Love. Probably the Charlie Parker and Dizzy you are listening to is too hard for you uh-huh. and your ears are not trained enough for uh-huh. this kind of music. So I came to America. A girlfriend of mine, her mother, was staying in Miami and she bought me my first ticket. This was the first time I came to America. Uh-huh. So I arrived in Miami, went to the music shop and bought, I asked for this song, James Moody's Mood for Love. And the attendant said, oh, there's another version by... Um, this guitarist, George Benson. Oh, God, I love George and Benson. So I preferred the George, George Benson version, yeah. which was very funky, blah, blah. Yeah, he's incredible. And so I t- got back home. I said, yes, I got it, James Moody. <laughs> so I thought I was going to impress my father. I said, George Benson. <laughs> he says, I didn't tell you to buy this. I told you to buy Moody's Mood for Love by James Moody. <laughs> and I said, I was so angry. So I said, I bought that one too. said, listen to that one. That is better. 
So I said to listen to the James Moody. I said to acclimatize. I said, mm, not bad. <laughs> well, then I used to smoke then. So I said, okay, take a little <laughs> bit of sleep. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> then I, so I tried to listen back to Charlie Parker and I was like, I was going, <laughs> I said, my God. And this was a really, this was a turning point of my life because I said to hear what Charlie Parker was doing with this glass. I said, wow, are they humans? playing this musical instrument yeah. so i tried to play with them i said eh, i will never be able to do this oh my god so i was thinking like should i retire now because i will never be a charlie parker or a dizzy gillespie yeah. why bother this is too <laughs> advanced and i tried 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 so then i got and i told my father about it. he says okay you know what listen to miles davis miles davis is more subtle jazz yeah. complicated but you will get along with Miles Davis. Uh -huh. So I said to listen to Miles Davis. Ah, and I said to enjoy it. Then I moved to Coltrane, Cannonball Adley. I said, oh, then I went back to Charlie Parker. Then I came to that junction again where I said, okay, I know I'll never be any of these guys, but uh -huh. I can be Femi and Nicola Kukuti. Yeah. So I said to find my own way playing the sax and develop my own style. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, no, I I also was reading the interview. I I we have the same uh, favorite song for you. If you're out, for your father was a uh, coffin for head of state is is my favorite song. I think ever made actually. That was the first song I ever took a solo to. Really? Yes. Yeah, I for I mean for me like it's a song I always you know obviously it has I'm, I'm sure more much more profound resonance for you and your family. But for me, whenever I hear it, I always think that um, no matter what kind of adversity you're going through, that it can always be. It can always be worse. And what I love about it is that there is like such a passion and uplifting kind of like he, to, to transcend such a horrible moment in, in you know, history and time and just yes. to make something so beautiful out of it. Yes. He always managed to do that. Yeah. I mean, with your own music, I know you've you've it's obviously has a very political uh, bent yourself. And you know, I was going to ask you kind of about, um, you know, Nigeria now and kind of if the problems are similar to the one, you know, obviously they're different. It's not a complete dictatorship the way it was before, but kind of how there are similarities and differences. This is more sophisticated kind of dictatorship mm -hmm. because they can't afford the world to let them know it's a dictatorship. Mm -hmm. But it's the same people that have been ruling even my father's time. Yeah, he was the go godson or something of... Of the, the Obasanjo. So what uh -huh. has happened is all the godsons are now ruling uh -huh. and the godfathers have retired, but the godfathers are manipulating the government. Uh -huh. And nobody can be brought to book for corruption. Uh -huh. So corruption is still very high. The people are still very poor. And they might just repair one road. Uh -huh. And out of a million roads, they repair one road. And we don't hear the end of the day uh -huh. because they repaired one road. Yeah. <laughs> and they build one school. Uh -huh. <laughs> but there are millions of children without education. And they, oh. have, they have tons of oil money too. Yes, it? I mean, it's the same story really, uh -huh. basically. Um then you have the psychophants who just keep praising the government mm -hmm. for achieving nothing really. Uh -huh. But people like me and people that feel the pain of the country are really frustrated. Uh -huh. So it's really the same story. It's just we don't have... In my father's time, you have to even remember, it was just his lone voice uh -huh. at this time. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a taboo to say anything against the head of state. Mm -hmm. And so when my father will be so... Um, confrontational with his songs, he mm -hmm. got beaten for it. Yeah, they found any excuse to arrest him, if it was for for grass or for any reason, they will find a reason to arrest him at that time. And but now, um, people in the country are too enlightened. Mm -hmm. In in those days, people were too scared to even play his songs. Yeah, 
at a party because you never knew who was listening. Uh-huh. Would the SS be there? Would you get into trouble listening uh-huh. to a song like Zombie? Uh-huh. So these were things that everybody was very scared. So, But my father showed so much bravery that it paid off today that everybody talks about the problems openly. Yeah. Now the journalist writes the story. We have human rights activists, NGOs. I mean, everybody, it's a big battle discussing yeah. the issue of the country today. Mm-hmm. Young, And then we have a very vibrant young generation that is very, they are, they are very aware. You would be even believe they were even there in the 70s. Uh-huh. So it's like they know everything going on, and yeah. this is this is very good. So you cannot compare my time with my father's time. Now there is more openness in discussion. There are we have very militant people, not in terms of arms, but with vexation. Mm-hmm. They are very angry, uh-huh. and they don't care what happens to them. They just speak their mind. This wasn't happening in my father's time. It was my in my father's time was just his lone voice in the seventies. Yeah. Has the internet kind of helped that like to give allow for more voices or is it kind I, of I would believe so because like on Twitter now, mm-hmm. everybody discusses if you don't like the president, everybody just says mm-hmm. it. They give him very you have one or two psycho fans on the inter, uh, uh-huh. internet that will say, Oh, but he has done this. Yeah. Okay, like one, two days ago, she was saying something like he has built a railway line from Lagos to Kano. Uh-huh. And oh, that's nice because previous governments have not done this and have failed in this. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, Well, you are telling the wrong person because mm-hmm. Somebody like me and many Nigerians that have traveled and seen the T and uh, TVG in France or in China, the, these fast-moving trains, you cannot be impressed with this tr- train in Nigeria that goes so slow, uh-huh. 40 kilometers an hour, <laughs> that <laughs> the railway lines are, <laughs> we are not even sure they are 100% safe. Uh-huh. When you see the way the metro works in France or in England, mm-hmm. you can't be impressed with Yeah. With the money we have, is this the best he can do for his people? So, but you have the cycle fans that will say, well, that's the start. But when you grow up, if you're like, if you are from my generation that have witnessed my father's time Mm -hmm. and what is going on and the corruption all these years, Mm -hmm. now I'm 50. I used to be 15. I'm 50. I mean, you'll have to really impress me in government to... You are bringing a train from what era? Uh-huh. The, that train has been abandoned all over the world. Yeah. You go and buy train from the Second World War, you are bringing it here to yeah. Nigeria to impress who? Yeah. Yes. Now, you go to another stage. So they might renovate the international airport. Mm-hmm. Somebody in the village in Nigeria will say, wow, so what is Femikuti complaining about? This looks, this is great. What an airport. Now, it's because this person has not seen the airport in Los Angeles. Yeah. You have not seen Charles Gore. You yeah. have not seen Heathrow. Yeah. If you see these airports, you will bury yourself alive. Yeah. You will be so ashamed that this is a rattle shack of a hut yeah. or some, of some sort. Mm-hmm. So the leaders impress people that are not enlightened mm-hmm. at what is going on and haven't been opportune to travel mm-hmm. with giving them inferior quality programs that really they should be ashamed of well they they allowed you to open uh the reopen the shrine they, they did reopen the shrine they did not allow they me did, they, we opened we opened it, it wasn't it. a matter of allowing uh-huh. did they not want it to reopen i don't know i wouldn't care but 
at that time we were I was my popularity was very high uh -huh. in Europe and America I had my hit bang 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 so and they did not even know I had bought the land because mm -hmm. I went through somebody who got the land who happened to like me uh -huh. the person liked me because I wasn't smoking yeah. I seemed very different from my father uh -huh. my at this time I had not shown the kind of confrontation I uh -huh. showed today. Uh -huh. Or I had a lot of friends in the press at the beginning of my career mm -hmm. that tried to differentiate me from my father because uh -huh. I wasn't smoking. Uh -huh. I had a wife. Uh -huh. I had just a kid. Uh -huh. So that very kind of negative impression many people had about my father, yeah. I was the complete opposite. So many people, the bourgeoisie kind of liked me, mm -hmm. but were still skeptical that, well, he's still fella's son. <laughs> yeah. So, but I really got round that and yeah. capitalized on this. So I got the land. Oh, he's not, oh, you're going to build a club. Yes, I'm going to build a club. No smoking there. Yeah, of course, no smoking. <laughs> Obviously <laughs> not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we got the land. And then after we got the land, the trouble started. <laughs> oh, wow. So, that's, that's great. But I mean, it, was, um, it wasn't because, I'm sure if they knew what it will turn out to be, mm -hmm. they will have done everything. Because we tried several places to get land and we were turned down. And it was this friend of mine who just happened to see this land in a very remote area. When we got the land, it was there were no houses there. It was just full of forests. Uh -huh. Now it has developed into probably the most um, industrial area now oh, wow. in the area. It's so every offices are springing up here. And when we built it and we said to have gigs, it was like, oh, you'll never be successful here. It's too far from town. It's too far. It's too... It's, a, it's so remote, it's uh -huh. so blah, blah. So it was, it, it's taken us like 12 years to keep on building the place. Uh -huh. And the first idea that came to mind was, okay, you know what we'll do? We'll play free. Uh -huh. We'll survive by touring and we'll just keep on playing free. We'll make our drinks the cheapest. We'll do everything free for the people. Uh -huh. And this was how we just developed. We were getting, I used to have like 2,000 people at every gig. Wow. Every gig, every free, free, free. And we did this for so many years. Then uh -huh. the police, when they saw um, how big it was getting, then the police started to come in uh -huh. and they were arresting people, yeah. arresting and till we had nobody there again. So um, I started to campaign in Europe with the press and we started putting pressure, pressure, pressure. pressure. Uh -huh. And then we're, we're getting our fans back, but uh -huh. people were very scared. This is, in the last two, three years, it's developing again. How often do you play there when you're back in Lagos? Um, two times. Every Thursday I play now. Every Thursday is free, and Sundays for like $2. Wow. My brother plays every end of the month, the last Saturday of the month, and then we have a disco that goes on every mm, Friday. Wow. The disco is the biggest disco in town. It's free. So you have all the young youths there, and it's, um, that's, it's a very crazy night. I was going to ask you um, about, you know, obviously you've, you've collaborated with, uh, you know, Common, Mostaf, and I was going to ask if you thought there were parallels between kind of the message of Afrobeat and hip-hop. Yes, you have to remember, where did hip-hop come from? Uh -huh. One of the sources of hip-hop was the Afrobeat. Yeah. And people always fail to give the Afrobeat credit mm -hmm. from the, of the influence Afrobeat has had on American composers yeah. and musicians. Definitely. Now, let's take, for instance, the great Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. My father grew up in England listening to Miles Davis. Who would believe in the future Miles Davis would be listening to my father? Yeah. Now, Miles, how do we know Miles Davis listened to my father? Uh -huh. He said so in his autobiography. Yeah. So Miles Davis was listening to Fela. Yeah. And Miles Davis was 
inspired by the Afrobeat. Yeah. Now we know that James Brown's musicians came to watch him. We know um, Paul McCartney and Lennon came to Nigeria to Gin- watch him. Ginger Baker. Ginger Baker was there. Yeah. I mean, you name them. Yeah. Um, Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Everybody was listening to my father. Mm-hmm. All the musicians from America were listening to my father. He was not getting radio play like everybody was getting radio play like Michael Jackson or so. Yeah. But in their homes, all the musicians were saying, wow, who is this cat? Yeah. Wow, from Nigeria. Oh, bro, hey, he's great, blah, blah, blah. The Talking were, Heads. I mean, the yes. Talking Heads were made in light album. Chili, is, Red Hot Chili Pepper. Everybody yeah. was yeah. listening to my father. So um, his influence in American development and cultural music is great. Mm-hmm. So hip-hop, all the producers of hip-hop were great listeners of yeah. the Afrobeat. Yeah. So it is... There is a lot of similarity mm-hmm. in the hip hop and the Afrobeat because, as for as far as what I see, especially at the beginning of hip hop, hip hop came out of Afrobeat. Mm-hmm. Hip hop just simplified Afrobeat for um, a generation of um, commercial radio uh, play, mm-hmm. which Afrobeat did not do. Afrobeat was very strict against. My father would play a song for. 45 minutes. He wasn't thinking about the radio. Yeah. He wasn't thinking about winning a Grammy or he didn't care. He was fighting a battle and he was adamant that he would not change focus on confrontation. Mm-hmm. How did you come about working with uh, Common and Mo Stuff? Because I had this hit and I was already popular. Uh-huh. Most of them already knew me because of Bang 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 mm-hmm. and most of them had been following my father's story. Mm-hmm. So we were in the studio in um, this Red Hot organization we were doing yeah. it a tribute with D'Angelo and myself mm-hmm. yeah. and Messi Gray Great song. for my father. Yeah. And it was on the night of the MC, MTV Awards. So what happened was all the artists, after the awards, they all came to this studio in New York and it now turned out to be a very big party. So this was where I met most of them. Mm-hmm. I met so many of them. I can't remember all their names, but we all became friends and we were talking. They wanted to know more about my father, politics in Africa, mm-hmm. how what was going on in Africa, yeah. and, and I obliged them by giving them this information. So I made all these contacts. So luckily, I was working on the my Fight to Win album, and I thought, okay, I will get in touch with you. Somebody like um, Common was very, he really wanted to know everything about my father or the Afrobeat or mm-hmm. Africa and things like this. Um, Erika Badu was there. So I made all these contacts. So it was easy to really come back to America and call them and say, uh-huh. hey, would you put your voice on this? And they were also willing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we could not even get even the roots to oh, the yeah. roots um, Amir. I mean, so they were all like, um, we don't talk like brothers of every day, mm-hmm. but we know they're there. I know they're there. Yeah. I, they know I'm there. Yeah. So, I mean, Alicia Keys, for instance, yeah. I mean, I, I spoke to her several times on the phone. So these are people that, um, even um, Santana. Mm-hmm. So these are people, Wyclef. So, yeah. I mean, I was in touch with so many people at this in this era, at this time of my career, that it was quite easy mm-hmm. to get them to do stuff with me. But unfortunately, again, I knew I had to go back home, mm-hmm. which would be very difficult for me to keep in touch, keep this um, momentum going. Did you I, ever, did, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Did you ever think about moving to uh, America? Yes, I did. Yeah. Because um, after building the shrine, there was so much serious negative bad press, mm-hmm. the police, 
So I thought, wow, and I had my son, I was thinking of his future. And I didn't want him to go through what I was going through yeah. or what I had been through. So I was thinking of moving to America. My mother didn't accept. Everybody, my sisters didn't accept. Mm -hmm. So I knew I couldn't move alone because I love my mother and my law. I love my sisters. Yeah. And there was no way I was going to move to America alone. I'm too scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be homesick. So, so that killed that dream. But yeah. I think probably I was just testing waters. I don't think it was really what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I just thought, wow, if I came here, I probably will have a better break or an easier life. Mm -hmm. I'm happy nobody agreed with that dream. Yeah. Because I really wanted to go back and continue the battle. Yeah. I could never give up the shrine. So when nobody accepted me moving, I said, okay, I had to think of another plan on how I'm going to fight this politics I'm involved in. Yeah, I think I I think I read in one of the interviews. Is it is it like the tradition for that for the oldest son to kind of carry on like his father is kind of like. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the culture in Africa that mm -hmm. you if your father is rich you inherit it. If he's poor you inherit it. If he's problematic you inherit you inherit yeah. everything. Uh -huh. So, but we don't really as much as we talk about it these days mm -hmm. is not really it's not. Especially in my family, it's not. Um, we don't really abide by those laws. Uh -huh. Like I have an elder sister, uh -huh. so really, if we follow the African culture and tradition, uh -huh. I'm the head of the family. Yeah. But the way we were brought up, I still have to give my sister respect because she's the eldest. Uh -huh. So we crack a joke. When it's time to share money, she's the eldest. <laughs> when is when a problem comes, I'm the eldest. <laughs> so I mean, so it's. We have a mutual respect for all of us uh -huh. in the... So I have another brother called Kunle. Nobody hears about him. I have other sisters. Mm -hmm. and nobody talks about, about them because they're not in the music business. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we all have mutual respect for what we are doing, where we are, and blah, blah, blah. So we don't really follow that African... Mm -hmm. I don't impose... Yeah. Um, I wasn't brought up to impose that yeah. cultural thing of I am the head of the family, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Even if some people discuss it yeah. within ourselves... We never, we never bring it up. Like Shewun, for instance, I mean, he can give me a slap on my back and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. If somebody was there, I'd say, how could you do that to your elder brother? Uh -huh. And I would say, mind your business. You know? <laughs> so we're very defensive of ourselves and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. now I was going to ask, um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about your new record. I know you have one coming out this year. Yes. And, you know, I, I think all the, the press materials and everything were saying it was a return to more of Afrobeat. And I was going to ask about that, if, if that's valid or not valid or tell me a little more about the record yes you could say so it's valid i think it's more me mm -hmm. i am afrobeat so you could say so it's intense it's very powerful i think it's the most powerful work i've done it's very scary it's scary because i don't know if i can ever do better than that again i'm so Yes, you could say so. What were the circumstances that sort of, uh, you, know, you know, obviously I know there must have been something that was inspiring you at the time or kind of what circumstances? Everything. Everything? Everything. Everything inspires me on tour, everything. Mm -hmm. And the songs just come or the politics that goes on, the suffering. But this one is very, it's very global politically because I'm talking about the recession globally. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about... Um, Haiti, I'm talking about Somalia, I'm talking about the Arab Spring, mm -hmm. I'm talking about world issues. Uh -huh. Normally, I'll just focus with Africa or Nigeria especially. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm talking about, I think, I've globalized the Afrobeat with this album. 
and it's beyond Africa. It's now global and it's um, it's universal. I think we're all saying the same thing. Um, I'm in support of the 99%. Mm-hmm. So I stand firm with this album. Um, I'm so I'm against the I'm against um, the suffering in Syria or Iraq, Afghanistan. I'm sympathetic to many issues, yeah. and I try to make this known with the album. They had an Occupy Nigeria, right? Yes. Yeah. What was was it similar to the one they had in America or, or different? Um, kind of, but this was because um, the president increased. He he took off the subsidy, so uh-huh. petrol went up by like a hundred percent. I read that. Yeah. So it's they got rid of like motorbikes that you couldn't you couldn't ride. This is recent. Now uh-huh. this motorbikes is uh-huh. recent, but this is by the state uh-huh. governor of Lagos State. Mm-hmm. And this has just brought a lot of suffering. He had a point in terms of many people were having accidents. Mm-hmm. But what he has done is these bikes became compulsory and it has become part of our daily life mm-hmm. to move because there's so much traffic and poor, the people can't afford a taxi. So the bikes are cheaper, faster, but they do have accidents. Yeah. So, but there was a law that everybody must wear a helmet. Mm-hmm. There was a law that the bikes must not have more than one passenger. Mm-hmm. If they had enforced those laws, mm-hmm. then there would be no reason to ban the bikes. Yeah. What they have done now is they have taken this cheap, easy way of transportation for the poor people off their backs. Now there's so much suffering. The traffic is still bad. And the poor people don't have the kind of money to take a taxi. Yeah. Nobody can afford this. So it doesn't make sense. Now, what we are hearing is one of the governor's wives has brought in tricycles, which will replace the bikes. So it just seems like all this kind of corruption has come back again. They're taking off the bikes because they want you to buy this other kind of bikes with Uh three legs from the government. And this is the one they're going to allow on the streets. That's crazy. And you're also, uh, you're doing Nigerian Idol as well? Yes, um... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> do you like it? Do you like that? Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's funny because now I'm 50. So it's, um, people have so much, you know, in Africa, your age is so important. And it's funny because in Europe or America, age is not, okay, it's important, but it's not the criteria for respect. Yeah. In Africa, it is, age is first the criteria to respect. Then they might uh, respect your integrity. Huh. Now, if you have both, you are kind of lucky. Now they respect my integrity. Uh-huh. And now they say, oh, you mean he's 50? Oh, my God. Time has gone so fast. Femi Kuti is 50. When did he turn 50? 50, 50, 50, 50. So I've been having fun because I turned 50 last year. And, yeah. Oh, he's 50. Oh, so how old do you? So when I was 49, it didn't matter. You mean? <laughs> That's funny. In LA, they just lie. They're like, if, if you're 30, you say you're 25. <laughs> Nobody knows anyone's real age, especially a lot of plastic surgery they have here. A lot of Botox. No, but I. So people are like, um, why, why don't you want to be young? And I say, no. I, why do I want to be young? Why do I want to remain young? I enjoy getting old, and I'm sure I'm going to enjoy living this life. Why do I want to be here forever? Yeah. Doing what? Jumping on stage forever? I think when I'm tired, then I'll have no teeth. Dentist? No. I don't know. Even sex, you get tired of sex. <laughs> I mean. Jump, 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 jump. You're back, you're back. <laughs> Something to look forward to, everyone. <laughs> I was going to say, um, you know. That must be somewhere better. I was going to say, you know, just to wrap it up, because I know you have a show tonight, and you should definitely uh, see him. Uh, you playing, I think by the time this airs, you have shows in Washington, D.C., and New York, and I think Boston. 
if you're there, you should definitely go see the show because it's amazing. Um, I was going to say, you know, what is it? You know, would you like to be? Um, would you like people to know about you? Maybe if they didn't, if they'd never, you know, listened to your music before, never listened to your father's music before, like, what would you want them to take away? It's hmm. a long question. With <laughs> yeah, I would. I hope my music will give inspiration, courage, and all those good things. You know, when you come from where I am, the music is a source of of um, I w- how would I call it? Food, not food. Um, this Nour- English word, um, nourishment, sustenance. Like yeah, like a kind of vitamin, kind of ingredients in your life. Uh-huh. That you need it, yeah. This kind of music that supports your pain. Mm-hmm. You have no electricity, you have no money, you can't feed your kids, you can't send your kids to a good school. Your parents are sick, you can't afford healthcare. You're dead broke. You have gone borrowing. You can't borrow money anymore. So this music is there for you, and that's how we see this music at home. And I think that's how people are seeing this music globally. So I hope my music will continue giving those kind of people the motivation to carry on pushing until we come to the end of, till we find this dream we want, where everybody can be happy, where we can truly eradicate corruption. Mm-hmm. And when you see what's going on in Africa now, in the last two, three days, we have to talk about the Americans and French and English people that were kidnapped in Algeria. Mm-hmm. When you see what's going on in Mali, you need to be very afraid because already Africa has a very big war in Central Africa, in yeah. Congo. Then we have the Somalia problem. We have the Sudan problem. Now Mali, which then we have the Arab Spring, which has spread to Mali. We don't know if Chad is involved mm-hmm. because these are all very um, Muslim areas. And then Niger, Burkina Faso, all these countries, we know that um, a lot of arms were going through Burkina Faso. So, have they armed themselves? Is a war going to come to that kind of central, northern part of Africa? Will it go into Nigeria? We know the Boko Haram is already there. And they have been moving down. up. They started up north in Nigeria and they are moving down south very slowly, but surely. So, these are very scary times yeah. we are facing in Africa and the music is I hope the music can bring sanity to this chaos that is in front of us yeah all right well I mean I that's perfect <laughs> nothing to, uh, yeah no thank you well thank you for for coming here and taking the time and really like I you should go see him on tour because it's 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 something you won't forget and uh no, we didn't even get to talk about the the Fela musical, but you should see that too. You, you must see the Fela you, musical. It's incredible. I yeah. wept the first day I saw it. it I was w- just crying like a big baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a, I felt, I felt I was just a big baby, and my who was, yeah, my sister was be, no, my girlfriend was beside me, and one of my musicians like, and I'm sure they were wondering why is this big monster crying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Well, anyways, thank you. This is Shots Fired. I'm with uh, Femi Kuti, and and, uh, thanks for listening.
This has been an Earwolf Media production. Executive producers Jeff Ulrich and Scott Ackerman. For more information, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolfradio.com The Wolf Dead.